Welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast. I'm Matt Prame and Eric Scopel is across the way. Hey guys. Uh, there's a couple of things we're going to dive into on this podcast. The first and foremost is uh, we're going to discuss the merger that's happened last week, uh, or I should now say about 10 days ago, right. um, and, and the site with eDuck and, and where we're at and where we're going. Um, and then we're also going to talk about Oregon's basketball weekend of they split home games against Utah and Colorado, and then we also will take a look ahead towards uh, this weekend's lone game. It's a Friday game at Oregon State for the first edition of the basketball hardwood Civil War edition, um, and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll also briefly just mention uh, some recruiting news for Oregon basketball as well. Um, but first, like we said, for the site... Um, I feel like Eric and I we agree on this. We're gonna talk, we're gonna do another podcast later today with Steve uh, Summers and also Kevin Wade, and we're gonna talk a little bit there as well. But we wanted to get out uh, in, on this ourselves too. Um, this is a merger that that there's gonna be bumps, and there've already been a lot of bumps. Right, <clears throat> um, and I think. It's cliche, and, and maybe it's not the best thing to say, but patience is is going to be key here for you, the listener, you, the subscriber, and also for us. Right. Um, there's because we're still ironing things out, we're still figuring things out, we're still figuring out how we're going to work together, and um, I think it will eventually uh, mesh, and it will eventually be a really good transition, and it'll be something that will be better for both sites, um, but. Look, two two large communities, probably the two largest communities in this market for Oregon athletics, are now one. And that should be exciting. By yeah, way. that should be very exciting. There's a lot of um, people on both sides that are that are smart and intelligent and give thought provoking discussion. Um, and we want to enhance that. We want to use that to your benefit. Absolutely, and, and I think you know, and then from our side. We're now able to provide more content because right. we have more content producers. Kevin does a great job. Steve's been at this since, like, basically I was born, I think. You know, he's been doing <laughs> this for 20-something years now, and, and he's a real pro um, in terms of in this industry, kind of the grandfather of, of kind of scout and, and all message that board, stuff. Message board, Oregon, you know? yeah. So, so, yeah, the product is going to be good, and, and, I don't, and, we're, and there's definitely not going to be a drop-off, I and mean, we're not going to stop going to things just because we've got more people producing content. You know, we're going to be doing things from Eugene. They're both located in Portland, so they'll be providing things remotely, and, and also, obviously, a lot of recruiting stuff coming from Kevin, but the site's going to just continue to get better, but it is also going to require us kind of starting to, the four of us, to communicate, kind of figure out what our roles are, and that stuff will also take time. So, from a content perspective, I think it's going to get better and better and better, but there's got to be a little bit of patience with that as well. Um, we're going to try to do more podcasts so you can kind of get to know us listening. I know that kind of maybe for some people it's kind of good to get it, hear our voices, kind of right. more familiarize yourself with us, you know, if, whether you're an e-duck or, or a duck territory person. And then that line, I think, you know. That goes right into our next topic. Which is that, you know, we're, I don't, I think you can remove those titles. I think we're, we're moving to a place now where Educk's not, you know, Educk doesn't exist on its own. Duckterra doesn't exist on its own. They, they they're they're, co- they're coexisting right now, and and uh, you know, for, for people from both sites, and a lot of, there was a lot of um, carryover for people that were subscribed to both. You guys kind of understand it, but for people that had kind of lived in one island and then another island, we've kind of merged those together now. So I think it's, you know, it's not easy. It's difficult, but I think it's time to kind of look at it as, hey, these are people that are part of the same site, the same right. community, and just to kind of embrace that opportunity. And there's been a lot of discussion of how the site will be set up from an organizational standpoint, 
for in terms of message boards and names and um, we've we've received a ton of feedback and we want to thank you all for giving us that feedback on the name of the site and the message boards and the names of the message boards and how many we have or how little we have and um, we've heard various inputs and um, solutions provided by you guys for <laughs> having a lot and for having few fewer message boards and um, a that's helped us a ton getting a good feel for the site and for what people are wanting um, and we thank you for that and B we've made the decision what we have right now currently uh, calling the site Duck Territory with Educk uh, is going to be the name moving forward and then the sites the message boards that we have the Duck Pond which is a VIP flagship board of the site um, football and football recruiting will, be, will live there uh, and then all breaking news will be posted there as well. And then the Mac court board, which is for hoops and hoops recruiting. It's again, it's an all VIP, uh, message board. And then the Casanova Center encompasses all the other sports that are played at Oregon that will receive attention from us. Um, and it's also a VIP board that goes there. And then there's the woodshed. Um, and that's for people who I, I we've, Left that over from EDUC. It's a holdover from EDUC where politics discussion that, that leaks onto sports sites, they have a place where they would prefer it to be. And you can kind of safely direct them, hey, if you're going to talk politics, it can't be here. It needs to be on this board. Uh, that will remain as well. And those are the four boards that we're keeping. Those are the four boards uh, that will have been added on because we originally went to just one. Um, and... I really hope and I stress this and, you know, from both sides, uh, people that subscribe to Duck Territory have gone from having one board, everything being in one spot, to just now four boards. Um, E-Duck people had 13 boards and it's now down to four. Give it a chance. Um, yeah. if, you, if you go in with it with a closed, you know, without an open mind and not expecting it to, to work, it's going to fail automatically for you, in your opinion. All we're asking you guys is to just give this an opportunity. And when I say an opportunity, I don't mean a day or two. You know, give this a couple months. Give us a couple months because we feel pretty confident with the four people that we have now on the site, myself, Eric, Steve, and Kevin, that this is going to work. And this is going to be probably, the, you know, we feel like, you know, it's going to be a place that a lot of people, thousands of Duck fans are going to want to come to every day to talk Ducks, to get recruiting news, and to follow their favorite teams and just give this opportunity a chance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I speak, you know, having been a part of both communities, I, I'm 100% confident that these groups can coexist and, and that it can be a beautiful place. So um, it's the new year. It's not opportunity yeah. to embrace new things. So, um, yeah, again, a little bit of patience would, would go a long way and and, uh, and just kind of embrace the opportunity to kind of get to, new, get to know other people um, that have one thing in common, and that is that they're Duck fans and that they love their Ducks. And that segues into uh, the real reason why we were here for this podcast. Right. Uh, I shouldn't say real reason, but um, Oregon basketball. Uh, we've kind of shifted our, our focus, you and I have, from doing this podcast. And we're still going to do this podcast um, with just you and I each week like we've done throughout football season. Um, we've shifted now from full football coverage to uh Mostly talking basketball, we'll we'll find ways to throw in ba uh, football stuff as we always do for throughout the entire year. But 
Uh, Oregon basketball opened Pac-12 play this past weekend. Uh, you may have missed it through the holiday season and the New Year stuff. And quite frankly, I, I think this was a terrible move by the Pac-12 um, to put these games the days that they played them. Pac-12 opened on a Friday. I mean, notoriously, it's been proven that Friday games in college basketball just don't generate the interest. And that set up Oregon's second game of the weekend on New Year's Eve. And at 7 o'clock. I was going to say, it seems like a really easy fix because traditionally, at least when I was growing up, the Pac-12 was a Thursday-Saturday league. Right. And now all of a sudden it's morphed into all these different days, which I don't mind. But why not do Thursday-Saturday, give people their New Year's Eve because – there simply wasn't as much attendance on Sunday as as there typically would be for a weekend game. Right. Be, I think almost entirely because of New Year's, people were celebrating, people were at their parties. I know people probably had the game out on. Out to dinner? Yeah, and out, I'm sure people had the game on in the background, but I'm, I don't think there was as much viewership um, as you would like. And frankly, if you're an Oregon fan, you much would rather watch that game than the one on Friday. Absolutely. Because Oregon on Friday kind of did, dropped a dud in the second half. Um but played much better in the second half against Colorado to pick up, I think, a much-needed win. I wrote prior to Sunday's game that I felt um, Oregon had to beat Colorado. It was kind of an early-season must-win for a variety of reasons, for NCAA tournament hopes, for avoiding potentially a really rocky start to Pac-12 play because they now go right. on the road for three um, games against pretty good teams, Oregon State and then the Arizona schools, who are both in the top ten nationally right now, um, and then for team morale. So they got the win. It was... You know, maybe not as beautiful of a win as you'd like, but there were moments there where you saw, okay, this team has something going, and, and they were able to kind of pick up a win they needed to. I mean, yeah, Friday's game, the Ducks dropped uh, the home home Pac-12 opener to Utah, 66 to 56, and this was a deal where Oregon had an eight point lead at half, and so the Utes outscored Oregon by 18 points in the second half, and that you. That's a really rare deal for Oregon basketball. We typically do not see that type of stuff play out um, with Dan Altman as head coach where Oregon just gets absolutely demolished like that in a half, especially the last four or five seasons when they've been a tournament team. I, mean, I, I can't think of it. Maybe that Oklahoma um, Elite Eight game, I'm not sure if they were ever – I don't think it was that many points in a half, but I mean, right. I'm trying to think of a game where they lost by that much and, you know, one I mean, half. there were a couple Arizona games – that I I can think no, of that was even before the runs, but not by but not by eighteen, 18. points in one half. Right. Um, you know, Oregon was always you know they they trail by ten at halftime, and then it it, it it expanded to maybe twelve points in the second half or something, they and they 20. lose by twenty. Right. Um, but it, it was never uh, just a straight up butt kicking uh, that Oregon got, and I, I, I mean, there were a lot of concerns offensively in that game yeah. in the second half, which was really concerning because in the first half they played pretty good. Pretty efficient. Well, it was it was kind of that obligatory tale of two halves. I mean, yeah. Oregon got up by 13 points in the first like six minutes of the yeah. first half, and it looked like they're going to run away with this thing. And, and Utah, for that opening portion, looked like they had nothing going. It was like 21 to eight, and they were shooting like three for 14 from the field. And then, you know, they Oregon kept that lead about 10 points the whole first half, and in the first three minutes of the second half, boom, 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 the, the lead was erased, and. Oregon never recovered. I mean, they didn't show much sign of life that whole second half. Never got it really to a point where you thought, okay, they can win, especially down that final stretch there. So that was very disappointing. You saw, I thought, some pretty bad body language between some of the players. They felt like there was kind of, you know, obviously when you when you're losing games, it's not easy. But it did did, you sense sort of some frustration, some irritation with how things had played out defensively. They weren't very good. Utah in that second half, 
was hitting three after three after three. A lot of them were pretty open looks. Oregon on the other end would try to get back with the three. I think the last six minutes, all they did was shoot Shoot threes, and that's not That's literally what they did. We're not exaggerating. Yeah, they literally only shot threes. They shot, I think, seven three-pointers in the final, like, five minutes of the game, and I think they made just one. And the other stat to me that that really stood out was the pace of the game. I I saw Ken Pomeroy tweet it out, and you should check out his website because it's great for basketball statistics, but that game... I'm not sure if you saw this. It was no. the third slowest game of the season for any any team in, in all of Division One basketball. Wow. And that's I mean, that's how you're gonna beat Oregon because they don't have a I, I think Kenny Wooten is emerging into one, but they don't have a low post back to the basket type of guy. Field goal in that entire game, by yes. Way. Um and I think that was a big issue. Um last year they had Jordan Bell, they had Dylan Brooks, um, even Chris Boucher to an extent where they could throw the ball down into the block and Somehow, some way, find a way to get to the basket. Um, this team, I don't think, has a guy where you can say against any opponent, we've got a guy who, who can do that. Yeah. And maybe it's not finishing with his back to the basket, but you know, starting down there. Um, and, and that was an issue, and I think Utah did a really good job of slowing Oregon down because this is a team that needs to get up and down the court, a lot of possessions, uh, play quick and fast. Um, and then on... on we saw that flip into into Sunday's game against Colorado, where Oregon beat the Buffaloes seventy-seven to sixty-two. Uh, a game where it started very similar to what happened Friday. Oregon started the game on a seven-zero run. I think at one point they led by thirteen or fourteen points early in the in the first half, and then in the second half, uh, the Buffs started making a run. I think they got within five until Oregon kind of got within three. Three, yeah, three until Oregon. Opened things back up again, kind of kickstarted themselves and you know re- rejuvenated themselves on offense and de- defensively, and they and they pulled away late. Um, but there was a lot of positives to take away from that game, and also a lot of concerns. Yeah, well, here, two positives for me, just comparing games. By the way, is that I think there were zero fast break points scored in that Utah game yes. for either team, which is crazy. Utah had three turnovers the entire game, which is really impressive. By the way, you can't take anything away from that. Oregon forced. Zero steals. I think Oregon had a, they forced a, a season best 20 turnovers against Colorado yes. and had a season high 11 steals. So that defense. And they had 12 fast break points. And they had 12 fast break points. So that, that defensive effort was, I think, key in this one in terms of turning over the Buffaloes, getting out on, in transition and scoring. Um, but there, it wasn't without some really ugly moments. I think there were two sequences over the three game. Three minute periods where, each. Yeah, where, where there were three minutes where neither team scored a basket or a field or scored at all, which is, Really, really bad basketball, and um, fortunate that I think Oregon played this team when they played them because you know Colorado probably not playing very good basketball right now. I think there's some confidence issues. They've lost five of six, but um, Oregon gets a, a much needed win, uh, creates a little bit of momentum going into the Civil War game this upcoming week. Which you know this is might be a year where the Civil War games are, are going to really be competitive and really competitive because Oregon State looks much better. Yep, Oregon State. Last year, much better than they typically look. Not much better than Oregon. Sure, yeah, took, yeah, and I, I think these games are going to be very competitive. But you know, look at the last couple of seasons. Oregon State made the tournament a couple of years ago. Last year, the tournament, I think they had one or two conference wins. They were not very good. Oregon, you know, that home game at Matthew Knight Arena against Oregon State was like a bloodletting. Oregon got right. up by almost thirty points in the first half and just you know ruled. Um, I do not expect these games to be that way at all this season. I think Oregon State has. Close to as much talent at the very top. I'm not saying overall roster, but they've got three or four guys that are 
on par Legit. with a lot of what Oregon has. So these are going to be tough games. Um, Friday, I think you're going to see a very motiv- motivated Oregon State team. Yep. You know, they've been beaten up like we've talked about by the Ducks for the last couple of years, and I think they now have some confidence. They probably they smell can... a little blood that yeah. they, that they can come into this game and legitimately have a chance to win this game. And and you know, they've they've won some games in the last four or five years against the Ducks, but they've always been kind of upsets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think. If you gave Oregon State's coaching staff truth serum, and if you gave, uh, if you put a national media member in front of that game and had them watch, you know they all would probably say most op- most times Oregon should win that game. Right. This is a year where I think it's going to be like you, fifty fifty almost. I think Oregon's probably a little bit more talented on the back end uh, of the depth that right. Oregon and right. Oregon State have. But Oregon State's maybe two or three guys are just as good, if not maybe better, than what Oregon has uh, on on the top end. And more importantly, they've got experience. You you look at Trey Cinco, Drew Eubanks, Stevie Thompson. Um, you know they've got three guys on this team that have played a lot of basketball, have played tournament basketball uh, a couple years ago for the, for the Beavers. So this is this is their third year in the system, uh, and then they've also got a couple you know younger guys now that are starting to play, including the other Thompson brother, who's uh, a, a five star prospect coming out of high school. So um, OSU is going to have some talent. And um, biggest takeaways I got from the weekend was Oregon has to find ways to get to the free throw line. They did that against uh, against Colorado. Shot 22 free throws. They made 19 of them. Um, they did lose the rebounding battle 32-30. to 30, But that being said, the most important thing we learned this weekend, and I kind of asked Data Altman this, was is Kenny Wooten showing that he's, he's going to become very difficult to get off the floor when Paul White gets himself back into shape uh, and – back into that starting lineup or has Paul White lost the starting spot or is he going to have to pull somebody else off and that I think that's what's going to have to play out um, because Wooten is, has proven that he needs to play 30 minutes a game this team has a huge drop off defensively when he's not out there uh, and then secondly Altman said that you know Paul White provides a stabilizing force for this team and while he might not fill up the stat sheet He's, you know, I hate to use the word glue guy, but he's that guy that just meshes everything together, I think, at least right now for Oregon. And so there's going to be some decisions made, maybe even this Friday with in terms of who starts and who doesn't um, and who plays 30 minutes and who doesn't play 30 minutes. But I think the rotation is starting to be set, and Kenny Wooten's going to have to be one of those guys that plays the most minutes. I would argue he might be the team's most important player. I was just going to say that. He's not the best, but he's... I think he's their most important he's player. He's the you most saw, important player. Because you saw when he, he didn't score a field goal, he was didn't play a ton of minutes against Utah, didn't really have a lot of production, especially offensively, didn't score. And you saw kind of what happened. When he's able to be involved offensively, they're so much better. I mean, during that five-game win streak before they lost to... To Utah, he I think averaged 13 points a game. It kind of found something offensively. And granted, he's not catching it and doing much behind, you know, back to the basket. Love right. off tip dunks, off of lobs, off of plays that are designed to get him you know in dunk formation. Where he's by the way he's shooting 77 percent from the field. He shot four four <laughs> against against Colorado. He rarely, four, four. He rarely misses. He hasn't missed in conference play because he didn't shoot any against Utah. <laughs> but uh, you know he I, I think he is their most important player. I don't I agree. I don't think he's the best player, but he's a player they have to get going. And I also think another thing that stood out from from the, just over the weekend was Troy Brown and how aggressive he needs to be offensively. I mean, you watch him. He is probably, in terms of... He's their best player. He's their best player. And with the ball in his hands, I think he can beat almost anyone in the conference to the basket. And he, we saw that against Colorado. He basically 
if he wanted to, he got to the rim anytime. Now, did he finish it? Not always, but usually he either finished or drew a foul or both. Um, he has to continue to play with that mentality because when he gets passive and kind of wants to just shoot jump shots and doesn't, you know, take initiative with the basketball, that leads to some of the other players, not that Peyton Pritchard and Elijah Brown aren't capable of scoring in those, those ways, but I think Troy Brown needs to be, if not, you know, if not the focal point of the offense, him driving to the basket needs to be because he is so talented and so creative in terms of how he gets there. That move he had where he went between the legs both ways and yeah. then finished that reverse over the collar. That was that pretty was, that, was pretty, that was pretty incredible. And, and he's capable of doing those things every time he touches the basketball. So, yeah, those two freshmen are, are crucial. And I think DJ Bailey coming off the bench um, also provided a lift. So the freshmen were big on the weekend. We were talking about this in the game uh, against Colorado that uh, Troy Brown, and I agree with you, I, I think he's the most talented player and he also needs to – um, and look, this is a hard process to make because you've got Peyton Pritchard coming back, who leads the team in scoring, uh, was I think a 4A state, the 6A state player of the year, what, three or four years? Three years in a row, and he won four state Four state titles. You know, clear number one guy coming back from a Final Four team. You've also got graduate transfers in Elijah Brown and Michael McIntosh, two guys who averaged double figures. Uh, Brown was a, uh, All Mountain West player two years at New Mexico, uh, first team player his, his sophomore season. Um, I think he was named the newcomer of the year. So you've got a lot of vets on this team, whether they played at Oregon or whether they played at other spots, um, that you'd kind of maybe defer to. And I think you know, and then you also got freshmen trying to figure out their roles and 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 trying to tell Troy Brown like, hey, you need to be the guy. Might be difficult for a lot of people to to transition because. You're walking on eggshells a little bit of, you know, I don't want to, you know, maybe this guy, maybe this senior thinks it's going to be his team and I don't want to, you know, crush that and, and kill team chemistry right off the bat. But we've gotten to the point where I think in the season, Troy Brown needs to assert himself um, to be that number one guy. And in the games, I think offensively too, mm-hmm. uh, I, I look at it as he's going to be a matchup nightmare no matter who guards him because there's maybe two or three Maybe, maybe four players in the league that can go up against him and he not have, and, and Troy Brown not have some kind of an advantage over his defender. Um, and you're not going to see those guys every night. And so it's, if it, if he's getting paired up with a, a bigger guy, he needs to take him out on the perimeter and, and shoot jumpers and, and, and try and drive past him in isolation. And if he gets a guard on him, he needs to be posted up. Uh, down on the block because at six seven six eight he's going to have even if the guy's playing good defense he's going to have a good opportunity at, at a clean look close to the basket because of just how tall and how long his arms are. Right. Um, and then he's a really good passer and I feel like the offense needs to start going through him uh, and riding his abilities and his his mat- mismatches that he creates. Uh, for this Oregon team to win games. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I, I think Oregon would honestly probably be better off with him kind of playing that point guard role. I don't know if they'll do that, like, schematically if they'll announce him as a starting point guard, but, you know, I think in terms of who needs to be touching the ball the most. Who needs it to needs to touch him. Conference. Every possession he needs to have the ball in his hands. I would, I would agree with that. And, that, and that, that gets, you know, we don't want to talk too much negative, but there, there seemed like there was a lot of instances against Utah in particular in that second half where it was someone catches the ball and puts up a shot too quickly. And their ball movement, I thought, was not perfect against Colorado, but I thought it was much improved. And you saw, 
you know, I'm not sure if the assist numbers were fantastic, but you saw I mean, the ball move a little bit better. The ball, the, the ball certainly moved a lot better. And the only downside of, of their play, I think, offensively, with Altman would be really upset about, was they got too careless at times and tried to make totally the too fancy of a play. Um, they because they finished with 17 turnovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a number of those though were charges, and I think a couple of them were also uh, Peyton Pritchard stepping out of bounds on a transition yeah. up the court that was. If you if you call what that, um, but overall I think they took a step uh, against Colorado. Now they go into a game uh, against the Beavers where there's a lot on the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you mentioned this going into the Colorado game. It was a must win mm-hmm. uh, for the Ducks. I still think this is a must win for Oregon and their and their tournament chances because right now their RPI is just below 100. Yeah, their RPI right now I think is 97. Their strength is scared. The issue is, is and somebody posted on the board that, you know, a couple years ago this reminded, reminded them of them where they, they started out slow and then they rallied. I think it was 14, 15 season they rallied, or maybe 13, 14, I forget which. But they rallied and, and finished the season strong and were able to get a decent tournament seat. I don't know if that Oregon has that much wiggle room right now because their non-conference strength of schedule is 212th in the country. Their non-conference RPI is in the 70s. Those aren't good numbers, you know. They need they need to improve those you know statistics in a hurry, and they, they do that by winning games. And Oregon State's RPI is not much better, so this is a game that really, if they lose, it hurts them. If they win, it helps them a little bit, even though it's a crucial win for the conference. If you just look at it strictly from an NCAA tournament perspective, um, I think they're going to have to win twelve to fourteen games in the league really to get in there, just because their resume is not very strong, and they're going to have to beat some of these big. Arizona and Arizona State on the road. If they could split that weekend somehow, that would go a huge way. Um, if they can, you know, if they can win at least one of these next three games, they go again: Oregon State and then Arizona and Arizona State. If they could win one of those three games and be two and three, that's a heck of a lot better than being one and four. Because if you're one and four, you look up, you've got the LA schools coming to town. You know, you don't know where this team's mindset is, and then things could potentially get kind of dangerous. And the thing that hurts the the Ducks is that you. In previous years, Oregon could go one and four to start league play and look up and say, wow, we've got a lot of work to do, but wow, we have a lot of opportunities to make up a lot of ground, mm-hmm. beating a Utah on the road or, or beating a Washington or a Colorado or Stanford or a USC or a UCLA and think, wow, there's, there's maybe six or seven top 100 wins, uh, on our schedule that we can find. And, and get three or four of those on the road even. Mm-hmm. Um, this year is not the case. The Pac-12 is down. Mm-hmm. Uh, USC is nowhere near uh, what preseason hype projected them as, even though I thought that was just ludicrous already, calling them a Final Four team. Um, they are not ranked. I think they are something like 9-6 and six or 9-7 and seven, uh, on the year so far. Washington beat Washington them at home. Them at home. Um, obviously, Utah beat Oregon, but I don't think Utah is a team – yeah, that if these two teams played each other again, the which, Ducks, they don't. which they don't, the Ducks and the Utes uh, in in February, I think Oregon blows them out. Um, if we see the typical development of Altman's teams second half of the Pac-12 play, um, I just don't think the talent is, is there. Utah beat them because they were more experienced. And this was a young team uh, playing games, but enough of that that game. Um, UCLA. They beat Kentucky, I think, a week and a half ago. Um, but at that, at the same time, they're still not what we were expecting them to be. Um, without two of their top freshmen. Exactly. Three, I mean, Leangelo Balls over in Lithuania, and the other two are not playing for the season. Um, St- uh, Stanford was a team that a lot of people thought 
could maybe be that back end NCAA tournament team, a you know ten seed or a nine seed type team. They're not even close to that. They're not very good. Plus the Cal at home, and Cal I thought was going to be maybe the worst team in the conference. Yeah, and Cal's. I think Cal is worse than what we were expecting them to be, even even with the Stanford. <laughs> that went, right. uh, Washington State's kind of tailed off from their hot start in non-conference play. Um, Colorado is not a good team at eight and six. They're zero and two in the Pac-12. So you know you've really only got right now Arizona and Arizona State that you can come out and say are legitimate teams that are going to make the NCAA tournament as long as they don't go something like three and fifteen in league play. <laughs> You know, these teams are the only two that are tournament quality teams, so that, that makes it that much more important for Oregon to avoid that one and four start. I was gonna say, I, I think this is like a four bid league this year, and maybe they'll get to five or six if there's enough parity and teams kind of beat up on each other that actually could do them, you know, if, if some, if, if Arizona, Arizona State drop a couple games to some of these teams that are kind of borderline, but yeah, Oregon is gonna have to play really, really well over the next couple of weeks here just to keep themselves afloat and then play really, really well after that to make that late push because right now, their bubble is, is, you know, I hate to say it's bursting early, but they're kind of, they're kind of off the bubble right now. I mean, they're probably 10, 12, 14, 16 teams behind where they need to be right now. And it's going to require, um, a lot of wins. They're going to, again, if they could split a game on the road down in the Arizona schools, that would go, I think, a really, really long way in terms of getting them, um, you know, a spot in that tournament. And I, I don't think it's necessarily even out of reach yet for a while no, because, you know, look, They've got the name cliche now of if they get the 22 wins on the, on the regular season schedule and they win a, a conference game, they'll probably sneak in and, you know, maybe. as a 12 seed or an 11 seed or maybe that 13 seed in Dayton, you know, but, you know, Oregon, if, if Oregon wants to have an opportunity to, to actually win a game and to have an opportunity to maybe win two, you know, they're going to have to, you know, make up a lot of ground in Pac-12 play, uh, to position themselves to getting a, Semi-decent six or a seven type seed, uh, in, in the conference, in the NCAA tournament. I think it's still possible because oh, look, no, you, you still get Arizona at home. You still get Arizona State at home. You beat UCLA and USC while USC is not who they are. Uh, at the beginning of the year, their RPI is still pretty good. That will, you know, those are four wins that you get at home and those are your four signature wins. Those get you into the tournament if you get above 22 wins. Um, it's just finding a way to get there. You're currently at 11 and four, you know, a nine and nine or a 10 and eight or even a, even a, like a something like a 12 and a six record in the Pac-12 probably isn't going to be good enough because, yeah. for you to get an at-large bid uh, unless you go crazy in the Pac-12 tournament and, and maybe get to the championship game and, and lose. Right. Um, but that being said, look, I think this team is really close to making a huge step because um, we've seen it at points. And I think it, it's dependent upon, A, Kenny Wooten showing Dan Altman that he can play 30 minutes a game, which he's now done the last month or so. And then B, the next step is finding the guys who can be the go-to players. And at least against Colorado, uh, that was Troy Brown. He, he realized it. He scored a career-high 21 points. He had seven rebounds. He had two assists. He had four steals. Maybe that game kind of shows each guy, hey, this is what I need to do game in, game out for us to have a chance. And I'll be curious to see how they handle the rivalry situation. A lot of these guys haven't played in a game like this. Oregon State, on the other hand, the vast majority of the players playing big minutes in that game will have played in two, three, four, five of these games. So that, that could be kind of an interesting dynamic as well. Uh, moving forward, uh, real quick, the, the Ducks will go, like we said, on Friday evening to Corvallis to play at Gill Coliseum against the Beavers. Uh, Beavers are 1-1 one one in Pac-12 play. They beat Colorado uh, pretty handily last Friday, and then um, they lost, I think, a two-point game. 
to the Utah Utes uh, Sunday afternoon, I think it was. Yeah, Sunday afternoon, right. Um, 3, 3 o'clock tip. And now they get ready for the 7 p.m. tip at Gill Coliseum. Games on FS1 uh, between the Ducks and the Beavers. And, and quite frankly, you know, this is you know, a huge game for Oregon State and a huge game for Oregon. Um, I, I fully believe that Gill's going to be rocking yep. and it's going to be a, it's going to be an exciting atmosphere. No doubt about that. Uh, to watch this game because just like Oregon, Oregon State's trying to position themselves for an at-large berth for the NCAA tournament. So until we talk to you soon, uh, Eric and I will be back next week recapping this game. And uh, you can go to DuckTerritory.com for, for all your Oregon football, Oregon basketball, recruiting, team needs, and, and whatnot. And also, uh, again, like we said, uh, the merger is going to have some bumps. It's going to have some smoothing out to, to do. Just give us time, give us patience, and uh, just go on the site with an open mind uh, with this community as we're merging two of the biggest Oregon sites out there uh, and into one. So for Eric and myself, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. See ya.